<sighs> so a couple weeks ago, we started a three-week series on light. And the first week, we talked about Jesus is the light of the world. There's no other light. Muhammad's not a light. Buddha's not a light. Your favorite podcaster's not a light. Your dad's not a light. Your granddad's not a light. Your son's not a light. Wife's not a light. There's only one light, one true light, and that's Jesus. <clears throat> Two weeks ago, or last week, we talked about God and his great creative power, the Father of heavenly lights, gives us through his creation and nature, right outside our door, plenty of evidence that he deserves and is worthy of all of our worship and praise and all of the honor we can muster. Romans even tells us that that divine nature and that eternal power is on display to such an extent that that alone should compel people to seek out our God. I referred to that and those lights, the sun, the moon, and the stars, the heavenly lights, the father of lights, as big lights, right? This week, <clears throat> we're going to talk about smaller lights. Before we get there, I want to remind you, as I look over here in different places where students are, that for the last two weeks, and this week we're concluding, a focus, a highlighting of the Aggies for Christ ministry. For the coming weeks, we're going to highlight other ministries because we want you to be a part of a ministry. And we need you to be a part of it. We want to give you an opportunity in the upcoming ministries, Aggies for Christ today, for you to volunteer because you want to be a participant in the uh, serving in all of the ways that we need to make Aggies for Christ function. And there's a good bit that we need done. So you can plug in that way because you want to volunteer. And that would be true for upcoming ministries. There might be a ministry that tugs at your heart or that you're interested in joining others in because you have a common interest in that ministry. You also have the opportunity just to be a participant in the ministry because some certain ministries here might also tug at your heart as a need. And you need to gather with other people who have like needs. For students, if you are not part of the Aggies for Christ, this focus allows you to try to learn and let us inform you about all the things that we have going on. So as it has been the past two weeks, and is this week, after our second service, you can go out in the foyer, and you might, if you're a student, notice someone wearing a blue Connect shirt. They would be a point of contact for you so that you could ask them questions. If you want to volunteer to help the Aggies for Christ, or even in future ministries that are highlighted in future weeks, the pattern and process is immediately after the service, you will look for people out there. This week, they'll have a clipboard with a QR code, but in the coming weeks, there will be different ways for you to find out about the ministry. See, we want you to find a place not only in the big body, but also in the smaller bodies. I think that's important. And part of this semester, these weeks, is 
uh, is our focus in informing. And we have a lot going on. And we want you to be a part of it. Last week, we talked about big lights. This week, it's smaller lights. But we're going to start off with one of the big lights. Last week, we mentioned some of the heavenly bodies. This week, we're talking about the moon. Not because there's anything special about the moon. In fact, I'll tell you, there's not anything super special about the moon. It's just a big rock. Bunch of dust. Bunch of craters. The only reason, essentially, that you even see the moon has nothing to do with the moon itself. Other than it's in the right place at the right time to reflect the light of the sun. The moon doesn't emit any light on its own. There is no power within the moon that produces light that you see. You only see it because the sun's rays ricochet off of it. That's all the moon does. We've talked about darkness in conjunction with light. You can think of a dark cave, the darkest, blackest cave, and one ray of light as you round a corner. You can think about being in a raft in the middle of the ocean on the blackest night. And you see on the horizon... A light, maybe a lighthouse, maybe a ship. What did those lights emit to you? What do they convey? Hope. Well, we talked about a cave when we talked about a raft. Let me tell you another personal story, not personal to me individually, but to my family. And I bet you, parents, it might resonate with you. As well. So we lived on Kyle Avenue before we moved to Fort Worth. That's over in the Thomas Park area. It was an older home. The house was situated and constructed in a such a way where the parents, where Leslie and I slept, was on one side of the house and the kids were on the other side of the house. In fact, the furthest spot away from us was the bedroom where Aaron, our daughter, slept. And for Aaron to get from her room, to our room was not a straight path. It was a little convoluted, actually. There was a, a turn in the hall. There was a big room you had to go through. There was a sunken den where you had to step in and come back out of into our bedroom. Well, as you can imagine, parents, maybe you remember, you might have also had one of those little monitors where you can hear what's going on in the room. And you would hear... Different times in the night, those little feet, those little onesie things they wore or their stock, socking, sock feet, coming down the hall, starting down the hall. You know what Erin depended on? She depended on that marvelous piece of electric hardware, a nightlight that plugged into the wall and then plugged in the den. To you and me, as adults, 
getting from one room to the other, we don't think of that as very dark. But you take a two- or three-year-old child, and you ask them to make their way to your room in the night because they're scared. That can be pretty terrifying. You see, the night light is a small light. But you know what another example of a small light is? It's you, and it's me. Remember last week we talked about our path, if you were here? A path, road, trail, whatever you want to call it. Here, for now, represents where I am now. This here represents my death. My time on earth comes to an end. I'm on this path, trail, and I want to stay on it. This path is my pursuit of Jesus because I'm a disciple of his. I want to follow him. And God tells us he can make our paths straight. But we know that we don't stay on the path easily and largely of our own accord. I mean, there's things that we do. There's decisions we make. I said last week that you know one of the things that helps me stay on my path? It's the big lights. Because darkness is everywhere. We talked two weeks ago about how we can have darkness around us. We can have it in us with that battle between flesh and spirit. But also just the world looks dark. You know what helps me stay on my path from last week? Is I know that I worship and I follow the one and the only one that can overcome and overtake darkness. And I'm reminded of that by big lights. I think creation does that. But you know what else else helps me stay on my path? It's the small lights, the little lights. I want to look at a couple passages. The first one is from our first week together. As a reminder, from John chapter 8. I am the light of the world, a proclamation from Jesus about himself. The second passage we're going to look at is from Matthew chapter 5. It's a familiar passage. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Two things to point out. What is your light? Good deeds. How does your light shine? You do good things. And you don't do it to your glory... You do it to the glory of God. So who, for our purposes this morning, are the smaller lights? It's you. And it's me. And for me to stay on this path, I need you. And you need me. And I need your good deeds. And you need mine, and I need your good works, and you need mine. I need your good words, and you good words, and you need mine. 
Because darkness is powerful. The powers of darkness, anger, rage, disease, terror. Politics is dark. Social media can be dark. Entertainment can be dark. The world can be dark. And Satan, the accuser and deceiver, is powerful. I want you to turn to a passage. It's not on the slides. It's not going to be on the screen. It's from John chapter 13. This morning, it didn't get in the slide deck because I didn't read it till this morning. This morning I was reading John 13. I'm going through the Gospel of John. Pretty early, I was up here this morning. I was reading. I went, I got to include that. Let's start reading. This is going to pick up in the middle of the story, John 13, in your Bible, on your phone. Read along with me, please. It's not on the screen. Verse 26. Jesus answered. Again, we're picking up in the middle of a story. It is, Judas is the main character. It is one of the main characters. You'll see the other one. It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. He's signifying who's going to betray him. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. And as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. Continuing on, what you're about to do, do quickly. Jesus told him, but no one at the meal understood what Jesus, why Jesus said this to him. Since Jesus, I mean Judas, had charged the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it is in any accident that the last phrase says, and it was night. Not just physical night, not just physical darkness. Don't you think Judas was just swallowed up in darkness? And Satan is powerful. We'd be ignorant or fools to claim anything else. Question. Are you powerful enough alone to fight off Satan? Are you smart enough, intellectual enough, philosophical enough? Got the inner fortitude enough to fight him off? Of your path, he's sitting there with a bat. Are you just swinging and knocking him off, going, ha, 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 try better later. You can do better, Satan. Come on, no. You have no power, not enough power within you to fight Satan. He is powerful. Powerful. We know that because we know when we've gotten off our path, right? And we know others who are off their path. Darkness, Satan, powerful. In our realms and on this path that we're on, what do I need to thwart Satan's power? I need big lights, reminders, 
but I need small lights. I need you. And you need me. Because I can't go alone. I can't walk the, can't walk the path alone. I'm not going to be successful without you. How does being a light look? It doesn't look, it's not part of our thoughts. It's not part of well intentions. It's acts, deeds, words that we do for and to each other that keep us following Jesus. They don't earn us anything. They're just a reflection of Christ who is the true light. There's a passage I want to look at in Ephesians that explains or says this for us. Ephesians 5.8 For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. And how does that look? I'm going to give you some very obvious ones. I'm a simple dude, not a great theologian, anything like that. Simple ought to come to your mind, one of the first characteristics of me. That's a simple dude. You'd be right on. And they make no proclamation to the contrary. You're the best boss. You're the best worker. You're the best in-law and friend. You're the best enemy. So that when people insult you, you return in, with kindness. You're the best when you're persecuted because you respond with prayer. You're the first to arrive. You're the last to leave. You have the deepest pockets when people are in need. And I've used this exact example from this very spot, and I'm going to use it again because I think it says what I'm trying to say. You're the best doer when people need something done. This is my example. I've used it before. If you've heard it before, just listen again. When I'm here next year, it'll be round three. Probably the same story. Sunday afternoon, it's hot outside and you're in an air-conditioned room. Your favorite team playing your least favorite team is on the TV and you've plopped down on your couch and you got cheese on top of nachos and a Diet Coke next to you. And you're in a recliner and your feet are flipped up. You're ready to veg. Watch the game. A buddy calls you and says, hey, I need some help. I'm moving this afternoon. And I'm moving up to a third floor apartment. Will you come help me? Take that lever, throw those feet down, and you're up. And when you get there, this is what happens. You don't pick up the toaster. You pick up the couch. Because that's what kind of person you are. But it might be words and not just acts that you need and I need. Remember, darkness can be terrifying. And sometimes our lights barely seem to shine. 
Sometimes we're brighter than others. But we're all lights. My light shines brighter when you shine with me. I wanted to give you a perspective from, from students. So I have a video that we've compiled of a few students answering this simple question. How has someone, how was one, how was someone, or when was there an occasion when someone was a light to you? It's longer than some of our videos, which is good, because you get to hear from someone, plural, other than me. You get to hear from students answering this question. Um, here we go. Howdy a &M Church, my name is Kyle Cunningham, and in between classes, I'd like to share with you a quick story about a person who was a corrective light in my life. Um, growing up, I was an active band student, and with performance-based things, you're constantly re receiving praise and awards. Can you hear it? People saying, good job. That was really Can you turn it up? Um, Anyone? But I had this bad habit of saying, no, it really wasn't that great. Here's what I did wrong. Um, but I had a... I had a private lesson teacher at that time. His name was Marcus Duran, and he told me to just say thank you. He got irritated anytime I'd point Can out. Can you turn it up, Jonathan? Um, Where are we here? And he really taught me that humility is just accepting praise, not pointing out the flaws, but just to say thank you. Which at the time was a pretty jarring and unexpected event in my life. And I remember at the time feeling hurt, I was confused, and I really felt like I was grappling with God in total isolation. And I was shown that light by three of my closest high school friends and their moms, who without even telling me or my mom, had found out about the funeral from a mutual family friend, and had woken up early that Saturday morning and driven the three hours to Abilene to attend the funeral of a person they had never even met before, but were only there to encourage me and my family in such a dark time. And I remember seeing them in that crowd and feeling so overwhelmed with love and kindness from that selfless act. And to this day, I still consider it as one of the nicest things anyone's ever done for me. So someone that is a consistent light for me is my sister. Um, she just always gives really good advice. And I know what she's saying is directly from God. Um, this past semester when I was deciding on if I wanted to go to Tanzania with AFC or not, um, there were so many things going through my head and I was never going to be able to make a decision on my own. And when I talked to her about it, it was just so clear that what she was saying was what God was leading her to tell me. Um, and she was saying that going on this would further my relationship. It would further the kingdom of God. Um, and it would further other people's relationships as well. And so I took that to heart as I do with all of her advice. And I went and it was the best decision I ever made. And, um, I don't regret it at all. I love Tanzania. And um, so she's just a consistent light in my life. When I think of a time that someone's been a genuine light in my life, I think back to my freshman year last year when there was a senior in AFC. He would take time out of his week every Thursday before Thursday Night Devo to take me out to dinner. We'd go eat at McAllister's, um, Rosa's, Chili's, Blue Baker. We had this rotation going. But really and truly, he just decided, hey, I'm gonna take you out to eat every Thursday. And that's just what happened. You know, we had great conversations. He became a mentor to me, he became a brother figure in my life. Um, and I think that was just so genuine. He had no really reason to do that, but he just decided I'm gonna do this because I want to, because God wants me to. 
So that's a time when someone's been a genuine light in my life. So when I was in high school, there was a point where I had fallen off my path with God and not really gone to church uh, very often. And there was one specific gentleman who had taken notice to this and decided to make an effort to text me over the course of a couple of months and just make sure I was doing okay and also to let me know that he was praying for me. Well, um, eventually his efforts kind of turned me back into my relationship with God and made sure that that was my focus instead of other things in life. And he is, has been a light for me in my life ever since that time and continues to still be a light for me um, by always texting and reaching out. Um, but I have come to realize that God has put this specific person in my life for a reason. Someone who was a light to me was Jason Peters. I spent every year of middle school in a different country. I moved from the U.S. to Beijing and then Dubai. Looking back, it was a great opportunity to grow myself individually, but it did have its challenges. The biggest of which was connecting to people and relationships. During that time, I found it was difficult to connect to people, and I learned I don't think the same way most other people do. This became a struggle for me when I came back to the U.S. sophomore year, and I had to make all new friends again and try to connect to people who had their same group of friends since elementary school. Needless to say, I didn't get plugged in very quickly, and around Christmas time, I was feeling rather discouraged that I didn't have a lot of friends. And the people around me, I realized, were not the greatest influences. And I didn't share their view of what was fun. Jason Peters was one of the adults who spent a lot of time with the youth group at my church. One day on the winter retreat, I talked to him about my feelings and this on this, and he was an, a very encouraging light. He prayed with me and told me that I would connect to people in time, and that I didn't need to connect with everyone, and that that's okay. This was incredibly encouraging to me, and I'm very grateful for the light he was to me. So one of the ways that I've been shown light through others is the willingness to kind of reach out and um, ask, you know, how my walk is doing, how my walk with God is going, and how, uh, you know, how I'm doing with staying on top of reading my Bible and focusing on him on a daily basis, um, they really try to uh, help you stay focused. And in many ways, they're willing to rebuke as well as, you know, love you whenever you mess up. And I think that is important whenever uh, we are trying to display God's love. Howdy, my name is Shelby. Um... A time that someone was a light to me was actually um, my sophomore year. I was looking for a new church home, and I decided to try out the A&M Church of Christ because someone I call my church grandma back home was like, you got to check this place out. It is um, going to be great. And so I decided to go to service one day all by myself, sat in a random pew, and I did not get out of service that day without five different families coming and talking to me, checking it on me, seeing where I was at in life, if I needed anything, how I was doing, if I was gonna come back and I got invited to lunches, to dinners, to houses. Um, and I'd been there for one service and that was just a moment that I realized um, that this place, the people here were really excited about the gospel and living out life as Jesus called us. Um, and it's stuck with me ever since. Thanks to all those who did the video for us. For Shelby is the last one I wanted to point out because you know who she's talking about? She's talking about you. You were the lights. <clears throat> I've told this story from this very place. I know I've already said that once today, but I've told this one story because I've been in education a long time uh, before I came here um, 
to work with the students. I was in private school, public school, uh, rich school, poor school, suburban school, rural school, private school, public school. Of all the schoolings I've been, time, the situation I've been on, one individual student has had the biggest impact. I'm going to tell you something that you might have heard before. I tell it to myself all the time so we can all hear it again because it reminds me of the need for lights. So Howard was a student in Navasota Junior High School. And I was assistant principal. Howard rode the bus, and the, I don't remember the bus number he rode. I think it was 13. It doesn't matter, but it was notorious as a difficult bus. There were a lot of discipline problems on Howard's bus. Every day, at the end of the day, before the students got out to the um, concrete area where they would get onto the bus, the students would wait in the cafeteria, sit by table, like bus 13 at this table, bus 29 at that table, et cetera, et cetera. And they would wait for one of us administrators to go, bus 13, you're dismissed, whatever. Well, sometimes I was in there, and sometimes I was out where they would actually get onto the boat, uh, get onto the bus. But I noticed when I was there, and I was there regularly, that Howard, whether it was sitting at the table, uh, at sitting at his table for bus 13, he was always the one closest to the door. I mean, he was getting out of there. He was headed to the bus. <coughs> it was always his pattern. He was always getting in position to be the first one out. And he was sprinting. It was a short way, but he was sprinting to the loading area. Now, Howard was an outsider. He was a kid who had been special ed all of his life, to my knowledge, in junior high. He uh, didn't dress cool. He didn't act cool. He uh, hung around with me as assistant principal. You know you're not included with others when you're hanging around the assistant principal. That's not, you know, the cool place to be. Um, we would have these conversations about different things. He was a fascinating young man, um, but also not included very well and knew he was different. So I'm out at the bus uh, where the buses load on this one occasion, and Howard comes sprinting out, man, and he's in his cowboy boots and old ragged jeans. He wore the same clothes, it seemed like, every day. He gets right there. He's, the first, he's just, you know, tossling around people jostling people to get in the stop, you know, the first spot. I say to him one time, I, I don't remember my question. I do remember his answer, but I was like, hey, why are you always the first one out here? Why are you sprinting out here all the time? And he answered me in a way that I remember, and you might remember because you might have heard me said this before, but again, I tell myself all the time. Because he said to me, he wanted the first spot on the bus. He said, if you're a Boy like me, the back of the bus is not a good place to be. And I've thought about that so many times. There are so many needs for lights. I don't necessarily say I was a light to him that day. But I remember that story. We all need light. We all need light. I depend on you. You depend on me. My path is my own, but I need your help staying on it. And you need me. And we do that by good deeds and good works and good words. There's a 
another version of the Matthew 5 that I'd like for you to read to yourself now from the message. You and I are the lights. We reflect as the moon, symbolically, the light, the one true light. We don't generate it on our own. And we do it to the glory of the one true light. There's a quote from a guy named Scott Sauls. He's a minister, pastor, writer. Um, Typically, I will pay attention to what he uh, says. This is something... I keep written in my office. Nearly every person you meet is insecure, overwhelmed, and under-encouraged. Consider taking some time off from telling people how disappointed you are in them. Everyone knows already that they fall short. Instead, show some compassion and be kind. People are starved for this. And you know who's starved for it? Everybody. So my last little assignment for you is this. This week, can we, you and I, commit to pushing back the darkness? Let's pray. So Father God, we first want to begin with our prayer and giving you the honor and praise with our lips and our minds and hearts that you best we can muster, not all that you deserve. You deserve all of it. We give you our thanks for your goodness and your power and that the darkness in Satan has nothing against us when you're on our side. But Father, we are wanting to follow you all of our lives. May the Holy Spirit compel us to follow you all of our lives. Help us help each other on that path. Thank you for the creation that we see and we, with our senses. We smell and we hear. That it teaches us and reminds us And let it remind us of your power and your glory. And remind us to be humble in our worship of the one true God. But thank you for the small lights. May we all be night lights to each other. And help us be that way with our words and our deeds. And help us have open hearts and open eyes and ears to look And know when, how, where, how often to be a light to those around us. In Jesus we pray. Amen.